Amen. Amen. Isn't it awesome to have uh, the young ladies lead us? Um, I'm biased because one of them's my daughter and all, but uh, I've had two or three people over the course of the last hour go, hey, you're going to be out of a job soon. <laughs> uh, my name is Wally. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, it is good to be with you today. I'm glad that you have chosen to join us. Um, we're starting a new series called Go, uh, based out of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. And uh, it's sort of what flows out of what we just talked about uh, with the Give Up series that Walter preached us through, uh, telling us as we looked at the Gospel of Matthew, what is Jesus calling us to give up, our talent, our treasures, our time, uh, culminating in the fact that Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you die to yourself and pick up your cross and live a new and different life. Um, and so we're launching into Mark. If you've been reading along with the Bible um, app, or if you're using one of these, if you're a paper Bible type of person, um, these are at the Welcome Center. We are currently just starting Mark. We just started Mark on Monday. So if you want to read through the Gospels with us, grab one of those or go to YouVersion and search for South Lansing Christian Church, and we have a gospel reading plan there. You can join along with us. And it's been a fun journey, uh, and I'm excited to work through the Go series as we look at specific people and how Jesus challenged them and how their lives changed because they were called to go. And today we're going to dig into John, ba John the Baptist. Before we get there, um, like I said, I'm the lead pastor here, and you know, if you'd have asked me when I was growing up, do you aspire to be a lead senior pastor? I would have said, no way. If you'd asked me a couple years ago, do you aspire to be the lead pastor? I would have said, no, I'm quite happy being the associate pastor where I don't have to be responsible as much. And being the lead pastor means that I'm the oldest one on the staff, which, uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but um, it has been a joy to step into this role and to lead. But I always, I, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, when I was growing up, the first time I remember thinking about what I wanted to be was in kindergarten, riding on the bus. Uh, we had assigned seats because we had a couple bad kids on our bus, and I sat with a kid named David Gooch. And because of this lovely TV show, I wanted to be a truck driver. Okay, how many of you remember BJ and the Bear? I'm showing my age, and it's okay. Um, I wanted it, we, as we rode from our houses to the school, we were driving the bus and shifting and just living life. And from there, uh, you know, every, every young man wants to be a firefighter at some point because being a firefighter is cool because you get to play with water and you get to ride the truck and... Um, and then in my early teen years, there was the sports phase. I remember being outside because if I was inside, I was getting yelled at because I was rambunctious and we didn't have screens, not that my mom would have let me play with video games anyway. So I was always outside playing and I remember kicking the football into the trees, thinking that I was a world-class punter or throwing the ball up against the side of the house which always made my dad angry, uh, thinking I was the greatest pitcher 
or playing basketball, which um, I did in my teen years. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I never had a specific thing that by the time I got there to my senior high school, that is what I want to do. Uh, I studied math for a little bit because I sort of felt the call to ministry, but I didn't want to go to, into ministry because that was scary. And after I realized that I needed to go into ministry, even when I was in college at Great Lakes Christian College, I still felt the call to ministry, but I didn't want to do that because I was dumb, and I ended up going to seminary to run away from that. And it's just been this long journey. And, and maybe you can relate. When you grew up, maybe you wanted to be a cowboy, or maybe you wanted to be a ballerina, or a doctor, or an astronaut, or insert whatever it is that caught your attention. And I would guess that over the course of you growing up, you had two or three or four things that you maybe wanted to do. And maybe you had it all figured out by the time you were coming out of high school. But there was a journey from point A to point B to point C with lots of lefts and rights in between. And as we look at John the Baptist today, that's not the case for John the Baptist. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us that John the Baptist's mom and dad, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were old and not able to have children. Uh, Zechariah was a priest at the temple, and he did priestly things, and they were simply faithful to God. Um, and then an angel visited. Let's read Luke 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke. We're going to be... Um, in Luke, and then we'll be in Mark. So Luke 1, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And I guess that uh, probably scared out of his mind would be more what I would say there. But, uh, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be a great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So before John the Baptist is even born, he's a pretty special kid. Um, I know my parents haven't been visited by an angel, uh, and I like to think that they think I'm pretty important, but um, that John is set apart the way he is before he is even born is an awesome and amazing thing. And as we transition and look at Mark, because Mark starts right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, we get to see even more of this played out in who Mark is. So flip over to Mark 1. We'll start at verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark's not cared about telling us about mangers and angels and shepherds. He's like, you know, we're just going to start right when Jesus steps into his ministry. We're not going to mess with any of that. It is written in the prophet Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight the paths for him. This is who John the Baptist is going to be. He's going to be the one in the wilderness calling to Israel to let them know that the Messiah is coming. And that is a huge, huge thing. And Anytime there's scripture quoted from the Old Testament, I like to look back. And this is what Isaiah 40, the first few verses say, because that's where the majority of this passage in Mark comes from. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand Double for all her sins. God is saying to Israel, this is written when the Israelites are in Babylon. They've been kicked out of the promised land away from Jerusalem because they were unfaithful. And so they've been camped in Babylon in exile. And God has been helping them to realize that they need to be faithful. And he's saying to Isaiah, tell Israel, I'm coming to comfort them. Their punishment has been done and I'm going to restore them. And it it continues on. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the road from Babylon to Jerusalem, you have to go out and around because it's a desert and there's mountains. And and what Isaiah is saying is, we're going to make the path straight. We're not going to have this long way around. We're going to lower the mountains. We're going to raise the depths. We're going to make it to where it's not rocky. We're going to make a beeline back to Jerusalem because your God is restoring you back to your home. And so it's in that context that we have to read Mark. Mark is the voice, or not Mark, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the voice in the wilderness calling to the people of Israel, the Jews that are living in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. The Messiah is coming, and what you think is right is going to get turned upside down, and life is going to be different in a good way. So let's continue on in Mark. Verse 4, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Uh, Right now, he's about 30 years old. He was six months older than Jesus. This is when he's out in the wilderness starting his ministry, Um, and shortly after this passage that we're going to work through today, Jesus shows up and is baptized. So, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. If you're a good Jewish person, you know that the only way that your sins can be dealt with is if you go to the temple or the tabernacle. Um, This is a picture of the tabernacle, which is... uh, where God resided in the middle of his people um, in 
Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy before Jerusalem was established. When Jerusalem was established, they built a permanent temple. But it is where sacrifice happens. So if you sinned or you did something wrong where you became unclean, you took some sort of a sacrifice and you went here to make yourself right. And so what John the Baptist is saying is, that is no more. You need to confess your sins and be baptized. It's totally upside down. And as you read in Mark, shortly hereafter, Jesus will forgive somebody's sins rather than heal them to sort of prove a point in in a story in a moment. And the Pharisees want to kill Jesus at that point because he's taking away everything that they know and hold on to. So John the Baptist is blowing everybody's mind, which is why it says that the whole countryside was going out to see him. It's also why in the book of Matthew, Matthew says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to see what was going on because um, John the Baptist, I'm sure, made them uncomfortable. Let's, Let's take a look at that passage. This is Matthew 3. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, um, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the, were the leading religious leaders of the day. They controlled everything. They controlled the temple. They controlled what you did as Israelites and how you practiced your religion. They were the bee's knees. I can't even believe I just said the bee's knees. Why did that come out? My daughter, she's, she's back there giggling, talking to her friends now. Um, they were everything. And so here they're out judging John the Baptist. In his response, you guys are a bunch of snakes. Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. Because they're living spiritual lives, but they're not producing fruit. They're not helping people to live out the kingdom. He goes even farther. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham our father. I tell you that out of these stones, the stones laying there on the ground, God can raise up children for Abraham. Abraham is the first person that God makes a covenant with after Noah and the Tower of Babel. And it's through Abraham's descendants that God is going to bring his blessing back to the world. And so that's why um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were good Israelites, they were the right um, pedigree, and so they thought they were good. And here, John the Baptist is going, no, God can take these stones and make new children for himself because you are not living up to what his children should be. Verse 10, the ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So uh, John the Baptist is sort of a fiery, in-your-face type of guy calling Israel to ready themselves for the Messiah and causing a whole bunch of trouble 
in the process. Let's go back to Mark. Um, Mark says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, sort of answering uh, what the Gabriel, the angel, prophesied. And he ate locusts and wild honey. He was sort of that crazy woodsman out in the middle of nowhere that you sort of wanted to go see, but he was a little bit crazy and you didn't want to. Verse 7, this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is sort of the third and final big aha wow factor for, uh, for the people listening to John the Baptist. Because in the Old Testament, the way that they understood the Holy Spirit to work is God sent the Holy Spirit on specific individuals for specific purposes. God's Spirit went on Moses and Aaron so that they could go in and engage with Pharaoh and lead his people out of slavery. God put his Spirit on um, Joshua when Moses died so that Joshua could lead his people the right way into the promised land. God put his Spirit on some of the judges as Israel struggled with who they were and a judge would bring them back into faithfulness and then a new judge would have to come because they strayed and bring them back to faithfulness. God put his spirit on Saul, his first king, because Saul needed the spirit of God to help him to lead Israel well. And when Saul drifted and was not a good king anymore, God took his spirit away from him. God put his spirit on David so that David was empowered to be a good king. God put his spirit on the prophets, Isaiah put his spirit on Josh or on Jeremiah. His spirit was on Elijah and so on and so on. So Mark saying that Jesus is going to baptize you all in the Holy Spirit is a big thing because that means God's empowering is coming to the entire kingdom, not just specific people, which ramps up our responsibility. It ramps up who we are and what we're called to be. It gives us more purpose. Um, so really, this is, this is what John the Baptist proclaims if we were to bottle them all up in one. John the Baptist proclaims and says that this Messiah, this new leader is coming to Israel, and they've been waiting for the Messiah to come for over 400 years. As they came back from Babylon into Jerusalem and reset up being Israel, they still were looking for this Messiah who would come and lead them and show them the new way to live. He's returning God's reign and presence to Jerusalem. The good news, the good news that God has come near again through Jesus. We talked about that a ton as we worked through um, Christmas this year and we looked at uh, Advent, this coming king in the form of a baby who is moving God back into the neighborhood. And then finally, he's empowering those who give up, who repent and are baptized in water and then a part of God's kingdom empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And while we are not John the Baptist, we are not people who've had angels visit our family to tell them how special we're going to be. We're not set apart like John the Baptist was. We are included in what he is proclaiming. We are called to be people who produce fruit, which is why the Great Commission at the end of Matthew is so important to us. And I I find it intriguing. Um, I've got a couple minutes. When we read Matthew, when we get to chapter 4, when Jesus is up on the mountainside and he calls his disciples to tell them the Sermon on the Mount, which parallels Moses and Israel at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. God says, hey, Moses, tell Israel we're going to have a family meeting. They're going to meet me at the base of Mount Sinai. I'm going to give you a new way to live, and I'm going to write my name on them, and they're going to be my people, my royal priesthood. We see Jesus up on the mountain at the beginning of Matthew telling us again how to live only in the way that Jesus wants us to live. It's not the Old Testament stuff now, but it's the New Testament stuff. Love your neighbor. Uh, Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Um, When you pray, ask for God to bless you in this way. Um, All those things that are built in there. At the end of Matthew, after Jesus is raised, it says that his disciples met him in Galilee, which is where the Sermon on the Mount happened. And and I think, I, I didn't read uh, any of the scholars on this, but this is what I think. So this is, this is Wally's brain here. I think that Jesus has called his disciples to meet him again on the same mountain after he's raised from the dead so that they realize their role, that they are set apart, that they are called to do this. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything you've seen me do, teach them to do, and that's what you're going to do. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what do we see in those disciples? They're ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, and just not people that were strong in the religious system because they weren't out being rabbis. They are just ordinary men that in the book of Acts, we see them being extraordinary, making disciples, baptizing them, calling them to follow Jesus. And so the challenge for us is to live out that purpose. We're called to live a life that bears fruit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control if we look at the list that Paul gives us in Galatians. We are called to be people who live in the kingdom as God's sons and daughters, but that we are actively helping others to know that God is good and to become a part of us. And in that, we're making disciples, people who follow us um, and then go and make disciples. So that is our purpose. Even though we're not set apart like John the Baptist was, at some point, 
if you've chosen to be baptized, you've stepped into the kingdom, and now you're part of the glorious thing of producing fruit and helping make God known to those that are not in the kingdom. And so as we look to communion and as we close out uh, the message, my encouragement to you is um, to dig in and to embrace your purpose to live out the gospel. Uh, We've been talking about reach out for a couple months now. We've had these cards on the chairs and we've been encouraging you to uh, commit to reaching out over 2023 where we are a people who seek God, we study God, and we serve God. As we serve, we are connecting with others, others that are just coming into our church and others that are outside of our church. And so I don't know if you've filled out one of these cards or if you've committed. We've sort of been a little bit soft in this in January, but if you noticed when you came in today out between the bathrooms, uh, there's a big banner that has this artwork on it, and there are some of these cards on a table there. And I want to encourage you to commit to reaching out in 2023 where we are living out this purpose to be fruitful and make disciples. Um, And when you commit to that, we're going to have conversations, maybe two or three over the course of the year. Hey, how are you seeking, studying, and serving God? What's the next step you need need to take? And how can we encourage you in that process? And the whole point of that is because we as a church want to live this out. We want to be a people who seek God, study God, and serve God, making God known, growing deeper in who we are, and then also helping others to connect with God. So if you've never made the step into baptism, I'd love to talk to you. Um, I'll be up front here for a little bit, and then I'll be in the back. We can talk about what that looks like to step into this purpose. Um, If you've stepped over that line and you've not been living the way that you need to and you need to repent. Um, There are going to be people around the room in blue lanyards, some of our elders, some of our leaders that would love to pray with you, love to talk with you, love to have that conversation so you can take the ugly and set it aside and get busy living your purpose. Uh, In our response time, you can do that also around the room. We have communion. This is when we're going to celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross dying on the cross, being buried, and then raised to life so that we could be a part of his kingdom and be called sons and daughters. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us in a couple songs, and we're going to respond to what God is calling us to do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are good and that you... um, find us worthy to be involved in this thing you're doing to save your creation. I pray that as we respond and as we eat a piece of bread and a cup of juice to remember what your son did on the cross, that you challenge our hearts and our minds and our actions. That we die to ourselves and pick up the cross and that we live out the purpose that you give us to be people who seek, study, and serve, who bear fruit, and who help others to know that you are a good God who wants them to be involved in what you are doing. 
May we bring you joy and hope as we do that. Challenge our hearts now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.